Before we get started, a brief musical introduction. That introduction was actually a guitar section by Phil Keggy from one of my sister's recent albums, actually from the one before the most recent. And uh, I want to open this episode by doing something I should have done a while back, and that is uh, announce the release of my sister's most recent studio album. It's a, it's a dang good album. Uh, for those of you who are more inclined towards christian themed music and that sort of thing uh please give it a give it a download recent album is called streams by stephanie staples i will uh i'll put a little little tidbit at the end of this podcast as well but uh be really helpful it's one of those things that um getting more streams and more downloads definitely helps more people find it and if you are uh one of those folks who has any say in what gets played at your churches or whatever Give it a listen, especially because uh, there's some really, really good stuff on that. And especially the, the last two albums, I have to, I have to say, are, are really excellent. So give those a listen. Really appreciate it. Love to hear what you think about it if you do give it a listen. And, um, you know, let, let other folks know about it. Put it out on social media, etc. Be really helpful to, uh, to her and to, uh, you know, ultimately also let them know you found, found out about it through this podcast. That said... Let's go ahead and get to business. From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development for an affordable price. And by Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, and Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. And we got another uh, another advertiser who's about to come on board here should uh, have all of that stuff set up uh, over the weekend. Really excited about this. Uh, somebody I, 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 I really believe in what uh, what he has to offer and what they, they have to offer. Uh, so uh, stay tuned on that. But uh, yeah, excited about this moving forward. Um, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and get into this Boston College preview. First things first, I mean, this is a weather game. So, you know, weather is going to be a factor, and we've known that all week. Uh, the question was how much. And as I record this, the likelihood that Lee is going to give as much in the way of winds as was feared is is dropping. So uh, as of right now, I think the, the odds are uh, that there's going to be no rain and that you're going to look at winds somewhere in the teens, which, you know, that's that's a little gusty at times, but that's definitely, you know, golfable weather. That's definitely passing game weather. You can still throw the football. It's going to affect some throws here and there, but you still can throw the football in that. It's a whole different world compared to, say, mid to high 20s. 
<laughs> when you start getting in that range, that that makes it difficult, and uh, you know you you start to have to to run the football because you can't throw it. There's just not enough. Uh, it's it's hard to throw once you get above about twenty three, twenty four miles an hour wind, and and you really have to start adjusting to that in terms of even how you call the game. Now, a couple other things of note cleaning up from last week, and that is uh, last week I'd mentioned that I didn't think Johnny Wilson looked all that healthy. I thought maybe he might be sick just based on how he looked in the face. And, you know, that first first half performance last week, he just never looked comfortable. Uh, and then I also had mentioned that, that Jordan Travis looked a little bit sluggish and, and did, just didn't seem quite at his normal sharpness in last week's game. And uh, I got word from someone uh, after after that that, uh, yeah, well, that's because both Johnny and Jordan were under the weather a little bit last week in that game, going into that game. And uh, that that definitely had some impact more on Johnny than anybody else, but definitely an impact last week. So something to keep in mind as you think about some of those drops and all that. And when I <laughs> found out the... Uh, extent of that. It was like, yeah, that totally explains a lot. So anyway, uh, worth noting and, um, helpful moving forward to, to think about now for our first segment, we're going to talk about the Florida state defense versus the Boston college offense. And, you know, this is a, this is a, a this is a difficult Boston college team really to assess for a lot of reasons, mostly because they, the, the level of competition, the first couple of weeks, was not all that great. I mean, they played a honestly pretty bad uh, Northern Illinois team up front. That Northern Illinois team went on to lose to an FCS team the week following. And uh, Holy Cross then, an FCS team that also not very good. So, you know, that, by the way, that that Northern Illinois team, they lost to Southern Illinois. And the score of that, 11 to 14 at home loss. That's brutal. Y'all, that is brutal. You lose to Southern Illinois at home, eleven to fourteen, and you know that's that's anemic. So then they then they managed to squeak out, and they lost that game in overtime, by the way. And then they followed that up with a thirty-one to twenty-eight win, close win, and a legitimately close win against Holy Cross, an FCS team that again, really they don't have a whole lot of business losing to, but they they kept that team in the game, and yeah, I mean credit to win it, but. Those are not two teams that are on the schedule that you expect to get a lot of um, of information about about the team about Boston College from from watching that, and neither team really has did a lot of things that that are really going to be helpful for Florida State on tape. So one of the things you, you basically have to do is you have to look at last year and then assess what changes have been made for Boston College in the interim and 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 also at Florida State. So what 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 changes are there? What do you expect to be different? So first thing is that Boston College, at least this year, has a functioning offensive line. So they're not a, a complete disaster up front like they were last year. Last year, they couldn't block anybody. And it's because of all the injuries they had up front. I mean, they were playing defensive linemen on the offensive line. It was it was ugly. By the time they played Florida State, they, were, they just could not block a soul. And that, that just that impacted the game. This year, they do have a functioning offensive line. It's not a great bunch, but they got a couple good players. I mean, one of their guards is going to be a guy that I think has a chance to be on ACC, all ACC first team. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a good player. He's been all ACC before. 
So they got they've got some players, a couple guys up front that are pretty good, but I don't think they're at the level say of of the LSU offensive line. Uh, but you know they're they're pretty decent up front, not bad. Other change is that last year they had uh, Jurkovic at uh, at at quarterback. He was now at uh, at Pittsburgh. This year they have a, a different, a completely different structure in terms of how they're they're running their game through a uh, a smaller, much more mobile quarterback, and that is uh, Thomas Castellanos. And Castellanos is a guy that, you know, he's 5'10", 195 pounds, maybe 200 pounds if you, you know, pour a bunch of water on him. And, you know, he's he's just not a big guy, but he is explosive. He runs around a bunch and you do have to be conscious of his legs at all times. He's a guy that you want to play a lot more to keep in the pocket and make him beat you from the pocket than letting him outside and, and start to run around and, and do some things that way. So this is another game where I think Florida state really just tries to be disciplined in their rush lanes and force him to make throws over those bigger off offensive and defensive linemen where he's going to have to find some, uh, some, some passing lanes just to be able to see. And, and I think he's a guy that does have some trouble seeing in the pocket some, uh, and they're going to want to get him out and, and let him make plays on the run. Uh, they, as opposed to with uh, Djokovic, where they didn't really have a whole lot of uh, quarterback run game involved. The whole system at this point with Castellanos is dependent on the quarterback run game, and they're, they're playing with the numbers there. They're trying to use him as essentially an additional running back and and take advantage of, of his legs over and over and over again. They, they ran a lot of veer. Uh, or inverted veer type stuff with jet motion. So you're going to have a slot receiver or even an outside receiver at times go in jet motion. And then it'll be like a wildcat type look with just a true quarterback there. So you've got that jet motion. He can hand it off or he can then run a kind of veer dive there. And sometimes with a lead block, sometimes there's an additional triple option type thing off of that, but they're doing, they're playing a lot more option type football and a lot of, of quarterback run game. Uh, you know, his own read, power read, you know, a variety of different looks there to try to get some advantage and to try to regain some numbers against defenses that just have better players than them. Uh, and I think that's the issue here. Uh, so again, he's he's not the biggest guy. He's, I don't think, at 200 pounds. So I think he's a guy that if you hit him a good bit, you can, you can wear him down over the course of the game. He's not one of those guys that uh, I think is easy to get a, a clean shot on, but the more you hit him, I think the more you can slow him down as, as the game goes on. And, and again, you're trying to keep him bottled more than you're trying to, to get him on the ground quickly, uh, in this game. Uh, otherwise, I mean, I just don't think their backs or their receivers really scare you a bunch. I don't think their receivers, uh, are going to be able to get a ton of separation in this game. And they, they don't really have the tight end mismatch, the kind of tight ends that they've had in uh, Chestnut Hill over the years, they, they don't really have one of those guys this year. So, you know, essentially, I think they go as far as Castellanos is able to take them with his legs and being able to make some plays on the run and, you know, dual threat type stuff. And that's a big ask. You know, essentially, he's going to have to, he's going to have to go full Lamar Jackson, I think, for Boston College to have a chance in this game unless there's a huge rash of turnovers and other things from on the Florida state offensive side. Uh, because I just don't think they have a bunch of guys on that, on that offense who's, who are going to change the scoreboard. They don't have the the true speed, you know, the Zay flowers or, or that guy that is going to give you a ton of problems 
regardless of who's covering him. Not a guy. There's not one guy that I look at and I'm like, ah, you got to double that guy. So, yeah. I, and honestly, I think Southern Miss, offensively at least, Southern Miss was a better team offensively. They're more dangerous offensively than this Boston College team. You'd rather play if you ask defensive coordinators and you watch both of them coming into the Florida State game and you said, okay, which team would you rather play? Most offensive coordinators, I, I can guarantee you, would say they'd rather play this Boston College team than that Southern Miss team. Because that Southern Miss team had some guys that can run, and they had some playmakers uh, and, a, and a really good running back and a quarterback that's been able to make throws. So, uh, like I said, I think I think Southern Miss was the more dangerous team offensively. Uh, in terms of overall yard per play type numbers and all of that, rushing-wise on the year, they're at 4.85, and that's 5.21 yards per carry against Northern Illinois and 4.62 yards per carry against... Uh, against Holy Cross. Neither of those is, you know, super impressive. Neither of those is one that you look at and you go, yeah, they, they're, they're going to give you a bunch of problems. I mean, Garwo is the, is the main back there that he, that he was last year. They've got a, a junior uh, Robichaud that is, is another, but the, the leading rusher on the year, 136 yards, 5.4 yards per carry is Castellanos. He's their leading rusher as well as their leading as well, as well as their quarterback. So, you know, it kind of tells you where they're at. They just don't have a whole lot of guys that scare you and, and, and are going to create problems if they don't have great blocking. So, you know, 4.85 yards per carry against those two teams. And then the passing yards per play, 4.44 yards per play throwing the football against Northern Illinois. That, that's brutal. 4.4 yards per attempt. 38 attempts and 168 passing yards, two touchdowns and a pick. That That is brutal. You can see how you lose that game. And then 8.7 yards per attempt against Holy Cross, 17 of 23 for 201. That's that's actually pretty good. That You, you can live with that. But again, you're not playing Holy Cross this week, and it's going to be, I, I think it's going to be tough sledding for them in the passing game. To me, this is a game where you, if you're Florida State, you you let your defensive backs really work on their communication, but you you give them a lot of opportunities to play true man and and a lot of your match stuff and and just keep working on the on the uh, the communication and and the uh, the reads that they need to make against the different formation looks and all of that that Boston College is going to present. But I think this is a team that you you focus on stopping the run and bottling up Castellanos and you you dare them to beat you down the field. Uh Castellanos also throws in the pocket. I don't really think he's much of a threat to throw to the outside of the field all that much. He does not have a huge arm. When when you do th- see him throw to the outside of the field on, you know, outs and that sort of thing, it's it's stuff where he's on the run and he he can locate when he's on the run. He's actually pretty accurate when he's on the run. But you want to really take away. I mean, I, I'd like to have a robber or that sort of thing. Nice thing about about this is when you're playing a mobile quarterback, you like to have a robber or a rat or both in, in those contexts, just because you want them to be able to step up against a quarterback. Uh, this is one of those games where you can play a lot of those types of coverages and, and benefit from that just because he, he really does throw better between the numbers and, and inside the hashes than he does to the outside of the field when he's in the pocket. So, you know, force him to throw to beat you over the top and locate force those receivers to get separation and the other thing is I think you need to play your young secondary in this game as early as you can. I mean, if you can get those guys in in, in the you know second drive of the third quarter, 
that's great. I, I think that that gives you an opportunity to keep those guys happy and continue to let those guys develop. But uh, I think this is a game where, you know, yards per play on the season, 4.76 yards per play against Northern Illinois, 6.01 yards per play against Holy Cross. I think this is a game where you can hold this team under four yards per play. I mean, they, they held them to, uh, let's see, last year. Uh, last year against Florida State, they put up 3.73 yards per play, and that was with an offensive line that couldn't block anybody. You know, I think I would not be surprised if the actual output yards per play was in the same range this year, partly because even though Boston College has improved up front, I think FSU's defensive front is also healthier and improved, and the depth there is going to matter. So uh, to me, that's what you do. You 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 aim to hold them under four yards per play and get out of this game quickly. To me, this is a this is another game where you empty the bench as quickly as you can. You know, I would prefer not to see Verse and Lovett in particular out there after maybe two to three series. You know, you get uh, Bethune and, and a couple of those really valuable guys out of that game after two or three series. Start giving your young safeties extra time in you know the second quarter if your offense can give you some cushion. Uh, I think you've got to you've got to do that. Ideally, you start getting those guys out. If you can have another game where you know Verse has twenty snaps and you know, love it has 15 or 20 snaps, you know, you feel, you feel good about that. Uh, and I, I think even your Josh farmers and some of those guys give them, give them a half and, and start to move to some other guys after that. I think that's, that's ideal. there. going to pay the bills real quick and then, uh, shift over to the offensive side of the ball in just a moment. So, Looking at the Florida State offense versus Boston College defense, this is actually an even harder side of the ball to a, to assess so far because Boston College's defense has not really played an offense with a pulse yet. Uh, those first couple weeks, I mean, they, they gave up some points and, and some yardage a little bit uh, to two lesser teams. But this is a, this is a team that, that it's just hard to assess. How, how good are they defensively based on giving up 20, what, 21 points in regulation against Northern Illinois and 28 against Holy Cross, giving up, you know, a total of 5.62 yards per play on defense in, the, in, in those two games combined. How good are they really? I mean, it's hard to know. I do think their defensive line looks decent at times and, and, are, and, and can get some penetration. Uh, they're more of a penetration based bunch than a bunch that's going to to clog stuff up and and get you at the line of scrimmage. They're going to they're going they're going to blitz you. And this is part of Halfley's sort of MO as a defensive coach. And I think he's a really good defensive coach by the way. Uh, I think he's an outstanding defensive coordinator. Uh, somebody that in the event that Adam Fuller moves on from Florida State at some point, Halfley would be, you know, if he's if he's available, he'd be a guy that I would have on my short list as a as a coordinator candidate. But he's a guy that's going to bring bring pressure. He's going to find ways to bring pressure and try to create tackles for loss. That's what they do. And he's going to do this creatively. Now, that's going to open up sometimes some opportunities on the back end, and you have to take advantage of those, of those opportunities. And you've got to block this stuff up well when they do bring those different looks and that pressure. Now, the thing is, I, I do think Florida State can hold up against what they're going to do there, and that, that's going to lead to some potential big plays. I think they're they they can be had in terms of I, I don't know how well they set the edge, 
There were some times where some guys got the edge on him in the running game and also in some of the screen game type stuff, uh, the, the you know swing pass type stuff. You can get him out on the edge and I think really do some damage there with the backs and, you know, Toa Feely, that this is a good game for him to do some of that stuff. Uh, but I think, I think that's basically how that, how that works. Now, I also don't think they have a bunch of depth. So essentially what you've got to do is you've got to avoid giving up penetration against the variety of different looks you've got. And honestly, this is a good thing for me. One of the good things about playing this game where you've got it a week before Clemson is Clemson is another team that likes to bring a ton of different looks and pressure. And and some of the things that they like to do defensively, there's some carryover from what Boston college does. So this gives you an opportunity to really work on picking stuff up in those contexts to prepare for what Clemson's going to do there and make sure that you're not giving up a bunch of tackles for loss and getting behind the chains. You work on staying ahead of schedule in this game. And that's one of the things that I think has got to be a priority for Florida state's offense here First couple couple games, they've been efficient drive to drive, but on first and second down, they've actually not been as efficient or effective as you'd you'd hope they they would be. They've got to improve their first down output if they're going to continue to have success on the you know on the year. And if they're going to beat Clemson at Clemson, they're going to need to be in in better, more favorable second and third down situations than they have been the first couple weeks. You can't rely on third down forever. Uh, that's that's the biggest concern for me moving forward for Florida State's offense is they're going to have to be better, particularly in the running game on first down. And this is a game where you can have a chance to work on that. So I do think for BC, this, the secondary is an area that I, I think it's a big question mark for them. I just don't see a lot of athleticism in their secondary. And I do think Florida State can kind of have their way on the outside as long as the wind allows it. I think FSU can can throw it as they as they see fit and get some big plays. This is a game where if, if it's me, if I'm, if I'm Mike Norvell and the wind allows it all, weather permitting, I force feed Johnny Wilson the ball in the first half just to get his confidence up and get his hands on the football, get him in the end zone ideally, give him some opportunities to, to make a few plays and feel like he's, he's sort of in the flow of the season because I do think he's kind of been lost the first couple of weeks and, of course, was under the weather last week. Give him some opportunities to get his confidence up and get him going because he is a kind of a momentum player and a confidence player. Get him rolling, and you want you want him to be rolling and to feel good going into the Clemson game. Uh, so you want him to have some positive reps in this game. To me, first half, you you try to make sure Johnny Wilson is is getting his hands on the football uh, and and often and in good situations and ideally get him in the end zone. Uh, and I do think you can do that against this secondary. And obviously, they're going to be plenty concerned about Keon Coleman, who, frankly, if they can you know, give Keon a couple series and then get him on the bench in bubble wrap, I'm perfectly fine with that in this game. Uh, they did give up 8.7 yards per play, yards per pass attempt against Holy Cross. Now, that was on 15 attempts, and Holy Cross was not exactly spreading it and you know chuck and duck, but that that does suggest they can be had on the back end. Uh, rushing-wise, they, they, they've given up 3.46 against Northern Illinois, and Northern Illinois is not good up front. And then 6.87 yards per carry against Holy Cross. And Holy Cross kind of lines up and goes big and kind of tries to bludgeon you. And they were able to have some success in the running game doing that against, uh, against BC. So, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> I think this is a game where you can you should be able to run the football as long as you avoid putting yourself in bad situations with you know some misses and allowing penetration in, in, in your in your run blocking. So 
you know, I think in the in the yards per play, the offensive yards per play area, you know, Florida State last year was 8.03 yards per play. I think this year, you know, anywhere over seven and a half is is sort of your expect meeting expectations in this game. Uh, I I think they'll probably try to to treat this a lot like they did a Southern Miss game, which is a little bit. I'd like to see them get a little bit less cute and do some of the stuff that they're most confident in early on and get, give themselves a 14 to 21 point lead before they start messing with stuff. But I think this, they, they treat this again as very much an offensive scrimmage. As long as you don't turn it over, as long as you don't put the ball on the ground or, or throw interceptions, I think you can get out with a win here. So that brings us then that brings us to our summary. And uh, this is a get in, get out game to me. This is, you know, with it being on the road, there are fewer players so the road reserves get even more reps. Uh, to me, you stay healthy. You move on to Clemson next week, ideally. And, you know, because that's going to be a war. You're going to need every player for as many snaps as they can go in that game. But this one's one where, you know, you, you try to have this one over at halftime. BC will fight. I mean, this is a red bandana game for sure. And, you know, this is a, there, there's a lot of pride in that program. I think Halfley does have his guys playing hard. But I think this is just one of those situations where one team has guys that change the scoreboard on offense a bunch and the other team doesn't have a whole lot of those. So, you know, I I've got this as Florida state 49 Boston college 10. I think it could be, there, there's a, there's a decent Delta in terms of the over under based on weather and how, how many drives are even in this game. I, I think this is one where if you're Florida state, you try to tempo it a few times just to work on it with your, with your first team. Uh, but I do think, this is one where you're just trying to get out without uh, without too much difficulty and without getting anybody hurt. I, I think that's kind of your your focus here. So uh, so yeah, that's my that's my read on it. We'll 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 wrap with with that on that part of the show. Uh, for the, for our last thing, we are going to get into the uh, into a couple question and answer uh, things just before we go. A couple last things to uh, to talk about. First of all, uh, this one, I don't, I don't have the names down on these. Sorry about that. But, uh, so for the right tackle, I'm pretty sure I know about the left. Is it more important in Norvell's system that he be a pass blocker or have quick enough feet to get out on the GT counter pulls? So it's a good question. Um, you know, in most, most offenses, traditionally, the left tackle is the guy that has to be more of the, uh, has to be the superior blocker in pass blocking uh has to be the more nimble guy that 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 you know can set and match and mirror against true rush ends more speed that sort of thing just because he's protecting a right-handed quarterback's blind side now that usually means that traditionally the right tackle is more of your road grader that is you're gonna if you're gonna run the football you kind of run to his side and and let things happen that way uh, with Norvell and and coaches that that pull the uh, pull the the tackles a bunch that that can change a little bit and the thing about this is in Norvell's system in general the good thing there is that in some sense this question the easy answer to it is that the quick feet necessary to be a a really good GT counter puller overlap a lot with the quick feet necessary to be a quality pass blocker so the traits are pretty much they overlap. It's, you know, almost a circle. If you, if you do a Venn diagram of, of how those traits overlap. So in some sense it's yes. I mean, 
you want to you want to have quick enough feet to get out in the GT counter pole, and that will be the sort of thing that allows him to be to have the feet to be a good pass blocker. Now, the complicating thing is that in gap blocking, you're also going to get you know the the tackle is going to be responsible for a lot of down blocking, and the when the other tackle is actually uh, pulling. So you want a guy with with some real power there. So uh, somebody who can who can move somebody and not just, you know, mirror position block as you get in a lot of like zone stretch type schemes. You you want somebody who, who's got some power to him as well. Uh, and in Norvell's system, normally the right tackle is going to be just in, as is traditional is, is going to be a little bit more of the bigger, a uh, little bit more down block heavy type player. But he is more because they run a lot of different formations and formations where there's no tight end on, you know, no attached tight end on either side. The, the tackles kind of are a little bit closer to mirroring each other in terms of the necessary skills in Norvell's offense than they are in a lot of others. It's not a situation where it's like, well, he's clearly a left and he's clearly a right. It's just a matter of they want a guy that's where he's most comfortable, whether that's left or right. And, Ideally, both guys are big and powerful enough to move somebody when they're down blocking and nimble enough to be quality pass blockers and be able to to pull. But you've got to be able to pull if you're going to play, if you're going to be a, a really good offensive lineman in, in Norvell's system. And that's true across the board from center to guard to offensive tackle. All right. Next question. In two straight games, the Knolls were flagged for offensive PI when it appeared that the penalized receiver was simply running his correct route. I'm guessing they were flagged for a pick play. Can you break down what the wide receiver is supposed to do in that situation? They seemed like bogus calls. And this one really calls for a video breakdown, and I, I need to do uh, a few of those here from the first couple games. We'll get some of that going here soon. Uh, but yeah, um, the easiest thing to explain is that they, the first one with Johnny against LSU, I thought was more questionable. It was a bit more bogus as you, to use your word, uh, because Johnny, you know, kind of put his hands up and, you know, he, he ran into him and kind of put his hands up and, you know, well, uh, what am I supposed to do here? The second one, the one last week was, I mean, that was a good call because essentially it looked like the, the receiver was, was once he made contact, he, he just stopped and kind of kept blocking. The main thing, the main coaching point here for when you're teaching guys to run these rub routes or these pick routes is you have to make it look like if there's contact that you are trying to avoid the contact and run your route. And there's a sort of art to this. I mean, it's sort of like drawing a charge in basketball. There's a sort of art to this in that you, you have to, you have to embellish just a little bit in terms of, like for for a lot of these situations on a, on a route, like what was run last week, where you're running like a skinny or maybe a, an over the ball Hank type route uh, where you're coming inside and you end up hi uh, hitting the backer who's flowing to the outside to cover, say the number three receiver coming from, from the, uh, from the backfield or whatever. When you do that, you make sure that right as you're about to make contact, you turn and you show your hands to the quarterback and let the linebacker then run right into your shoulder and like, oh, I didn't even know he was going to be there. That's kind of what you teach him to do. Um, another thing is that if you're just running that shallow, which is what they were doing in, in this case, you when you make contact, you make contact, and then you just you continue to make the effort to get over top and look back at the quarterback and you know make it look like he ran into you 
completely accidentally. And there, there's a, this is, this is again, something you practice, uh, with Johnny's route as well. If he had just tried to fight over that, like if he tried to get the hands, uh, you know, moved his hands or whatever, or just, you know, tried to change his route pattern, maybe go over the top a little bit more with that. Once the, once there was contact, instead of stopping and slowing down and all of that and being satisfied with the contact, try to run over or around, you know, run, run, you don't want to run over, but you try to run around, try to redirect just a little bit, ideally in the most inconvenient way possible while looking back at the quarterback for, you know, for the football, that sort of thing. If you do that, then you're almost never going to get a rub route called. The moment it looks like you're happy to, to just be there and make contact, the flag's probably going to come out. So you just have to have guys that, that are committed to acting this out. Like, okay, you got contact. All right, now look for the ball. Look and show your hands. And, or, you know, you got contact like, oh, try to avoid it. Like at that last minute, make it look like he just tripped you up or whatever. That's what you try to do. So, uh, so yeah, both of those, I thought the, the Wilson call was questionable at best. I thought the other was, it was actually a good call just because of the, the lack of any effort to make it look like there was an actual route going on there. All right. Final one. Who is the, the last wide receiver at Florida state on the level of Keon Coleman? This is a great question. And, you know, I think the answer there is probably Anquan Bolden, who I think is, I think he belongs in the, in the pro football hall of fame, but he's a different kind of guy. He's a different kind of receiver. I mean, he's a big bodied, you know, really quick footed receiver, great hands and all of that. And just a competitor, but Coleman's a different kind of cat, right? Athletically just, you know, faster, more fluid than Bolden was athletically, I'm not sure that Florida State's had this kind of guy on the roster since the 1995 practice squad. And, you know, some of you will go, well, Peter Warwick, Peter Warwick was a totally different kind of player. You know, Peter Warwick was the last wide receiver of this quality. I think Florida State has had, could you say Anquan Bolden and Peter Warwick are the last two that are on the level of Keon Coleman. I think Coleman is better than Kelvin Benjamin ever was in college. And I think so was Bolden. Obviously Warwick was. So I think you're looking at those guys. And again, athletically speaking, I think you have to go back to, to Peter Warwick and Warwick was a different kind of athlete. I mean, Coleman is six, four and Coleman is smooth and very fast. Warwick was a, you know, he's six foot six, one, it's about six, one. Uh, and he was about two ten. So he's a big guy as you know, in, in his final year, and he ran a four four seven four four eight uh, for the uh, for the pro NFL pro workouts that he did after the you know Tully Jim thing where they were running in you know slick basketball shoes and all that. So he ran four four eight. You know, really really good athlete, special short shuttle type guy, super quickness, uh, more of an electric playmaker, but not quite the, you know, downfield vertical guy, a little bit less complete in that sense than, than Coleman. Um, but I think you, you have to put Warwick right toward the top in terms of school history at, at, at receiver. Coleman has not <laughs> come close to equaling that, but in terms of the, pr the athletic profile and the kind, the quality of wide receiver you're looking at, I think you probably have to go back to the 95 practice squad to get somebody that's that kind of size, speed, fluidity, hands and all of that quality. Uh, other than that, I mean, I think the closest in terms of size, speed profile might be Javon Walker. 
You know, Javon Walker was 6'3", about 210, 215, and ran a 4.34 at the NFL Combine. So, you know, no slouch in terms of size-speed combo. Uh, but, you know, Keon is a more natural wide receiver, is a more fluid athlete just in general. So, you know, I think I think you you favor him over over Javon Walker. And folks forget how good Javon Walker was. I mean, that guy, look at look go back and look at his rookie year numbers back after he got drafted. That guy was a really good player. So, you know, I think those are the those are the that's the company that we're talking about in terms of the kind of player that Keon Coleman has been through two games at Florida State. And if he keeps putting up this kind of season through the whole season, yeah, he's he's joining that rarefied air up there with, you know, Peter Warwick and and Anquan Bolden, some of those those greats from the Florida State past. Great questions. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap there. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. Now stay tuned for a brief introduction to my sister Stephanie's, the first track on my sister Stephanie's album, Streams. This song is called A Lament.
like to thank my advertising partners, EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate at ShenRealEstate.com and the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers in South Florida. And then, of course, if you have not stopped by the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, you can buy stickers and all sorts of other gear. Go ahead and do that. Always helps support the podcast. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Dave Blair, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.